Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast, where entrepreneurs come to learn how to live their truth, get rich, and make a massive difference in the world. I'm your host, Adam Forrest, co-founder at Change Creator and co-creator of the Captivate Method. Each week, we talk to experts about leadership, digital marketing, and sales strategies that you can implement in your business and life to go big. Visit us at changecreator.com forward slash go big to grab awesome resources that will help drive your business forward. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Adam Force. Um, yeah, I'm excited that you're here. Oh, we have a really great conversation. Before we get into that, though, um, if you missed the last episode, Danielle and I uh, jumped on, and we talked about, um, you know, it was actually uh, a trigger. It was triggered from a, a coaching call we had in the Captivate Method. So somebody came up, they're like, I have this story. Um, I, I was thinking about sharing because it's related to what's going on with my customers, but I feel a little bit like, you know, ashamed or like I'm uncertain if I should share it. So when is it too much? When is it too much to share something? Right. Um, and we kind of get into that conversation because it is really important. There is a major role that storytelling of your own self, like your micro stories and everything else that plays in your business. Um, so when are you crossing the line and when you're not and what are the benefits there? Uh, so we get into that. I think you'll get a lot of good insights out of it. So check that out when you get a chance. Today, we're going to be talking with Greg Shepard. He's a bit of a rock star. He, um, he's the CEO and founder of Boss Capital Partners. So yes, he is an investor. He has the investor mindset, but he's also a serial entrepreneur. He's built like 14 businesses and sold them. So he's like selling more businesses and some startups are selling products. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, just having a little fun there. Uh, and so he's got a lot to offer. Um, he knows how to build sustainable growth, right, for a business. Um, and he understands the leadership style it takes and decision making and perspectives that are required in order to build a business and sell it. All right, so we're going to get into a lot of interesting stuff. Um, he's got quite a background. He's won all kinds of, uh, you know, um, I guess he's won these things called the Tech Deal of the Year, which is a $250 million uh, 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 price point, meaning he made a deal for $250 million or more. He did the Private Equity Deal of the Year for over $500 million to $1 billion and Cross Border Deal of the Year for over $500 million to $1 billion. So, I mean, he's just like a, 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 a business-selling monster. <laughs> um, so anyway, we're going to dive into this with Greg and see what he has to say. Don't forget to stop by our Facebook group, our Facebook page, get involved, and changecreator.com forward slash go big. All right, guys, let's see what Greg has to say. Okay. Okay, show me the heat. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Greg, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show. How are you doing today, man? Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. You have such an incredible background. I'm excited to dive in. Uh, everybody listening, you know, Greg has done so much. It's been, I had to have a very serious prep talk in order to figure out where we need to put our attention. So there's a lot of good stuff that we're going to get into. Um, and I'm excited that you focus on helping entrepreneurs today. It's such an pivotal part of um, addressing some of the biggest problems around the world. So Greg, if you could just give a little background about like what's going on in your world today and how you got there with boss and the direction you're taking. Yeah. So I started out with nothing and I started building companies and I did 12 of my own startups. Um, actually 13, another one just sold, uh, a couple weeks ago, nice. but I did a ton of these different startups. And in that process, what I was trying to figure out is how to get this down, you know, get it down to the point where I could understand everything. So I did a lot of planning ahead of times and a lot of retrospectives. And then I looked at all these things I call operating systems. So that's like 
you know, a lot of people don't even know about a lot of them, but Six Sigma, everybody knows about Agile, Lean, Kanban, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, and during that period of time, I would test these different operating systems at different stages of the life cycle of business, the maturity of a business and in different companies. And I was able to figure out a way to align these things so they aligned with the five levels of a business and the five levels of funding and so on and so forth. There's always five for some reason, but <laughs> there's these different five levels of things. And, uh, and so what I did is I figured out how to do it and then I would test things and then I would see what worked, what didn't work, and I got it down to a science. So basically instead of it being, you know, this you know, the fog of war kind of walking in and never knowing what's going to happen the day you walk into the startup, you know, it's more of a science. And so it's more proactive than reactive. Yeah. And then I turned it into something where I decided to share with everybody to try to increase the, uh, the success rate of entrepreneurs in startups. And why is that important to you? I started with nothing myself. Um, you know, my mom was a nun, my dad was a priest, they left the church and, uh, got married and then, you know, adopted and fostered children. And so I was born into this, uh, this world of altruism. And uh, I found it very, very difficult to get off the ground because I didn't know anything. Right. And I was like, well, you know, these entrepreneurs, they are the future, right? So every time an entrepreneur succeeds, you see that money move from this big giant block uh, you know, that 1% that everybody talks about down to these entrepreneurs who have not only worked hard, but usually don't have much. And then it changes their life. And because they're different people, uh, because they've had, you know, they've had to go through some grit to get where they are. They're very altruistic. So you see a lot of them giving money to charities and, you know, you see them, uh, paying off student loans and their employees or stock options and all this stuff happens. And I was like, I can actually help with wealth distribution by helping more entrepreneurs succeed. And that's what I decided to focus on. And this is the angle I decided to do it with boss. Yeah. Interesting. And so what does boss specifically do that is so beneficial for the entrepreneur? So it's the, it's an acronym, it's business operating support system. So the concept is, is that it's an operating system like you would have on your computer to support your business. And so it has five stages. And these five stages were developed after years of doing, I did like 1200 interviews, um, with entrepreneurs that succeeded, those that failed investors, accelerators, just all kinds of people. Um, at the same time, I also tried to figure out, you know, in the, in the world of operating systems, what else was out there. So I interviewed the Navy SEALs and the first fighting wing of the air force, manufacturing, fire departments, police department, anybody that has a process or has to have a process to be uh, efficient. Yeah. And then I applied all that stuff. And when I learned about the five areas that businesses fail, I created five areas to prevent that failure from happening starting at the beginning. Interesting. I love that. And so how, how does someone even like, this is very new to me. I've never heard of um, someone creating like, now is this an operating system that would like, how does that work? I mean, you have to install this instead of like your iOS operating system. Like, no. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. I call it an operating system, but it's not software ah. yet. Anyway, it's not software. It is 
you think of it in terms of an operating system, but it's more of a methodology and a set of tools. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so these are some key principles from your experience and a strategic methodology that will help guide people through a process that is designed to um, help them take the right steps with their business towards an exit, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So it starts out with uh, keeping the end in mind at the very beginning. Right. So one of the the biggest problem I see, and this is riddled all throughout all of the five different areas that they fail, is they don't start with the end in mind. They don't start by, okay, who's going to buy my business? So think about it this way. If you are if you're an entrepreneur and you're building a company, you're building a company to solve a problem most of the time. I mean, there's only two types of companies, those that are creating taking advantage of an opportunity or those that are solving a problem. In either scenario, you have a customer and a profile of the customer. You know who your customer is. I mean, you'd never build a product and then go figure out who your customer is. You know, you don't want to be a solution looking for a problem. So if that's the case and your business is only a product to your acquirer, remember that acquirer who's buying your business, they've already invested a ton of money in acquiring their customers. That money is spent and invested. What they want to do now is they want to grow the, the lifetime value. So you have the customer acquisition cost, the CAC, to the lifetime value ratio. The only way for them to make money, more money on the investment they already made in their current customers is to either buy or build a new product. And they always buy. They don't build. So that new product has to match their current ICP, ideal customer profile. So if you don't start at the very beginning thinking about who the customer is of your the buyer of your business – then you could build your business and then go to try to sell it and say, oh, nope, not wrong, but wrong profile. And then they're not interested in buying it or your multiple is going to be really low because there's no match. And yeah. that's what synergies are. So, yeah, and I love that thought process. I don't think, you know, anybody listening, I just don't think enough entrepreneurs are thinking about exits. You know, it's, oh, no, I'm not going to exit. It's going to, you know, it's going to be a long time forever. This is my passion. I'm never going to get rid of it and all that kind of stuff. But there is a certain perspective that comes when you are preparing and operating the business with the perspective of exiting. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. And if you're raising money, the only way the investor gets their money back is when you sell. Yeah. So if you're not thinking about an exit when you're talking to investors and when you're, you know, building your business, then you right there at, at that moment, you're already off. Yeah, you're dead. Right? Because you're literally going to investor and saying, hey, give me a million dollars and all this deck and all this stuff you put together to build this business. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to return your money. I have no <laughs> idea. In fact, I'm not even planning for it. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, that's insane. Yeah, no, it is. And, and, you know, we've had those conversations and you definitely want to know the exit. And I like the decision making that occurs, because if you are going to sell it, that means that you really do need to create systems within the business that someone could take over and start operating when you hand it off. Right. Dude, that is so smart. Nobody ever thinks that's exactly right. So it's like think a business is a hell of a lot more complicated than Ikea furniture (laughs) and Ikea furniture comes with directions. Yeah. Right. So when you go to try to sell your business, there's that's where another big point of failure is they can't sell it because the buyer can't figure out how to operate your business and therefore they can't figure out how to take advantage of your product being sold to their customers. Yeah. So when you build a technology business and you write code inside of the code, there are comments things that explain what that line of code does. Hmm. See, if you don't have that, when somebody's evaluating your code, they're gonna be like, 
my engineers don't even know what these things do. So we have no idea where to even start. Yeah. Now, yeah. you would never do that, right? I mean, you know, you always, every programmer knows, any engineer that's out there knows that you have to put those comments in there so that, you know, people know, oh, this does that, and this does that, and this does that. Um, so that's like what you do, right? And so the five stages of boss are first the North Star, which is understanding where you're going and when you're going to get there yep. and who's going to buy your business. Mm -hmm. So think of that as like a GPS. So if you're going from one place to another, you need to have two localities, right? You have to you know where you are and you need to know where you're going, right? It, yeah. Otherwise, you're never going to get there. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and then after that, you have to have a plan, a strategy. So that's like turn by turn directions, including things like, oh, there's traffic or a detour or you're going this fast. So that means that you're going to arrive at this destination at this time. And then after that, you have to have the ability to execute on it. That means literally getting in the car and driving to that you know, destination. And then after that, you have to have the ability to standardize it so other people can go the same route that you went, which is standardization. That's accountabilities, best practices. And that allows you to figure out where you're going to go and how you get there. So accountability is what is being done and who's supposed to do it, what functional area is supposed to do it. Best practice is how it's supposed to be done and triggers are when it's supposed to be done. And now you have literally, this is how the business runs, but there's a lot more benefits than, than just that. A huge number of benefits as you grow and scale. And then after you get standardization, you go through the Kaizen loop. And Kaizen in Japanese just means continuous improvement, which I got from uh, the Toyota production system back when <laughs> Toyota went from being nothing to a monster and having huge quality and retention uh, rates on their revenue. Right. And so, you know, that part allows you to go back through the best practices, figure out where you can optimize to eliminate waste using the lean methodology yep. and then put it back into the plan. And that's why it's a loop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That feedback loop. Um, I love the lean methodology and, um, yeah, the, the, the stuff you're talking about, um, is so important. And I think that, yeah, the the exit strategy and the decisions that people are making, creating those processes. You know, we coach a lot of different entrepreneurs also, and we have found that these are these are major gaps for people. So when it comes to marketing, and 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 you're right, it's like where do we put our attention? How do we find focus? What's important? And if you have the right, uh, I guess if you have the right frame of mind and the where you're going, um, you can make smarter decisions. We always tell people, you come in here. I'm like, well you guys want to join this program, but tell me where you want to be in 12 months. And if they can't do it, I'm like, well, then I can't help you. <laughs> I'm like, you have yeah. no idea where you want to go. How am I going to get you there? Yeah, exactly. So in the North star, there's a few different stages. So I actually broke down each one of these higher, broader phases yeah. into what I call gates. Okay. So that the entrepreneur can walk through and sort of slice this up into smaller pieces so that they can get through one of these phases and until they understand the whole system. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's really, actually, there's going to be a, uh, it, it caught the attention of UCSD, the university here, which is only number two in technology to, uh, MIT, uh, to use it in their, uh, business program. And they're doing a TV show, actually a YouTube show on it, cool. um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> which is awesome. But 
I love that. So that's interesting how these things kind of pop up like that. And I'm wondering, um, you know, you've sold a lot of businesses now. So let's just talk a little bit more about the exit um, strategies. So when we go through the boss system, you're, you're setting people up through the stages. Um, but what are some of the critical lessons that you've learned, like you've obviously replicated the process by selling multiple companies. I mean, you you are identifying, you know, the key uh, customer profile for buying the business. You know, people do that for their products. And I can almost see at the volume you're at, you're looking at businesses just <laughs> as your widget that you're selling. Um, so it's like you're looking for that ideal customer. Um, and what are just what are some of the, the things you've uncovered with regards to exit strategies and, and actually making sure you understand who that, that right customer for buying the business is ahead of time. Yeah. So, you know, I look at probably, I don't know, between a hundred and 200 deals a month. And when I look at these deals, I look at, I go through pitch after pitch after pitch because, you know, we invest in, in companies through boss capital partners. And in that process, I, I swear probably one tenth of a percent of the time, do they even have uh, two things that I think are really important. One is a go-to-market strategy, and the other one is your exit strategy. Yeah. Right. Like, how are you going to actually go to market, and how are you going to exit? And when they do, they don't understand what that actually means. An exit strategy isn't sitting there and going, "Oh, I'm going to sell to Google." I mean, Google is that's like saying, "I'm going to travel." Where are you going to go? The United States. You know, <laughs> what state? What city? What? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like really, you know, so. Um, so th that's one of the things. The other thing is that they don't actually back into the acquisition. Like, why is this company going to buy you? What is their ideal customer profile? And do those things align? What is the behavior of the buyer of your company in the past? Like, yeah. do they have a pattern of buying? Can't Do they have the money to buy? You know, yeah. how many companies have they bought? Like, all this sort of research that you do when you develop the ideal acquirer profile. You know, the... So... Those two profiles are critical and an exit strategy is a plan which includes, you know, data around, you know, who's going to buy and all the reasons why and how to build your company for that. The thing that people don't understand is it's not like you can work on your company for three years and on the third year go, OK, I'm going to sell and then just do that. <laughs> that, that is not how it happens. You know, so you're, the whole three years you're planning, the entire three years you're planning for an exit. So everything that you're doing in your business is moving it towards being acquired by somebody else. And I'm not saying build a shitty business and sell it quick. You have <laughs> right. to build a really, really good business, but you have to do it in the direction so it's directionally correct to the, the end destination that you're, that you're shooting for. But I think people get so overwhelmed, Greg, with, you know, just getting a product to sell and just getting off the ground and all the decisions they have to make. And, you know, there's a, a ton of information out there that takes everybody in different directions. And we see it happen all the time with different entrepreneurs, you know, before they come into our, our own program. And, um, I'm curious, like if they're struggling just to sell the products and get all the stuff, I mean, is it, it's, I feel like a lot of people will come to me and say, well, it's really hard for me to focus on trying to sell the company when I'm just trying to sell the product. What are your yeah, thoughts that, about that? You're, you, you're not, trying to sell the company the whole time, you're just building a comp company that is easy to buy. Yes. You yes. know, so there, you know, the, when you sell a business, there are certain, you know, sort of, you know, crossroads that you have to go through. So there's a process to that. For example, you know, your customer and their customer being the same as I've explained before, but also things like 
how do they know that the technology is going to integrate? How do they know that the financial numbers will integrate and benefit them? How do they know that the culture is going to fit? Yep. You know, there are integrations that, you know, so in that process, you know, there's a, there's a few different targets, like big benchmarks that you're shooting for. And typically, you know, in the exits that, that I do and the way that boss functions is you sell to people that you already have uh, started a relationship with over many years. Yeah. So yeah. you can't just, on the, if you want to sell in three years, which is my businesses usually sell in three years, if you want to sell a business in three, even five years, you can't start that process at three years because you have to realize that just the acquisition itself, if it's a $50, $100 million deal, just that one process is going to take at least six months. And then before that even starts, you have to have a courting period, right? That's like another six months. So you're a year out right there. Yeah. So you can't start that process the, you know, when you want to sell. And then before that, usually there's some sort of a small investment that they make. And before that, usually there's some sort of a partnership. And before that, there's some sort of an integration. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's like, you know, you can't be like, okay, now I'm ready to sell and then start that period. Cause you just added two extra years or three extra years onto your, uh, your exit strategy. If you had thinking, uh, thought about that the whole time, you would be doing things that benefit your company company at the same time setting up an acquisition in the future, which is something yeah. that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, you know, you'd be having certain conversations, connecting with people that you think might be the right, you know, buyer. And I think through those conversations, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're going to be learning more. It's kind of like consult, like getting on a strategy call with a client to find out, well, what are you guys up to? What are you looking for? What's important to you? And really kind of get that data so that maybe you can take your assumptions and turn them into real insights that you're operating your business around, right? So how do you know what the key milestones stones are that you want to hit in order to sell to that company? That probably doesn't come without a lot of conversation with that company, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot. So uh, the, the analogy I give to entrepreneurs a lot of time to make it really understandable as I say, listen, so it's not like you meet a girl and you go, let's get married. It doesn't work that way, yeah. right? It's like, okay, let's go have coffee. Let's have dinner. Let's have dinner again and again and again, you know? Right. And meet then the after family. a period of time, you're like, I trust you. I care about you. All these things happen. And then you say, okay, let's get married. Yeah. When somebody exactly. buys your business, it's like that. There is a lot of courting that happens before that. And you can't just start that. You can't just say, okay, I want to sell now and then just do it. Yeah, it just yeah. doesn't work that way, you know, and if it does, a lot of times the transactions will fall apart in that process. And yeah. when they fall apart in that process, usually the entrepreneur is in a very bad place because the process of selling a business is a massive distraction. Yeah. So, you know, they're working through this process and they're working through this and they're distracted by it. So they're not paying attention to their business. And then all of a sudden now the deal falls through and now they're it's like it's, it's devastating. Yeah. So two things happen. Either the deal falls through completely or they lower the price and change the terms and then they end up, you know, which is a lot of times the strategy of the acquirer yeah. is to, you know, kind of just, you know, they have a, you know, there's a term, right? Treat them like mushrooms, keep them in the dark and feed them shit, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, there's, there's terms for these things because they're real, right? So yeah. if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're planning this whole thing the whole time and that happens, you're like, it doesn't matter because it's just in the flow of your normal business. Yes, that is so important. Um, and it's easy. I mean, 
we only have so much time and energy to invest, right? And it's a valuable resource, those things. And so you're right. I mean, what the, the, if you're going to distract yourself with these things, you want to make sure you're doing it the right way. So um, easy. it's so easy to get distracted for all kinds of different things, and everybody has all these ideas. So um, Yeah, I, boss you know, keeps people focused and on the rails, right? Because I call it squirrel syndrome. You know when you walk your dog and it's like, squirrel, and it just bolts off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what entrepreneurs are like. It's, it's, it's in their nature. Yeah. And it's a yeah. positive thing. But you got to have a, uh, you know, one of those leashes that goes out, that runs out and then comes back. Uh, yes, you know, so a, that, a little stretchy one. The, uh, yeah, yeah, shiny right. syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, shiny syndrome is, you know, shiny thing syndrome is is real for entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah. But, oh, everyone's yeah. got new ideas all the time. We t- yeah, it's like people come on to our coaching calls and it's like, oh, I got to, I'm going to do this new podcast. I'm going to do this and it's going to be paid. I'm, gonna, I'm like, what happened to the primary focus of like your offer (laughs) like all of a sudden you're like off on another tangent uh happens all the time that's a huge problem huge problem so boss keeps that focus right because when you use boss correctly what happens is your board deck you know what you're telling your investors is your boss system and you literally show them you know what you planned and you want to show predictability and also for your buyer nobody wants to buy a company that's unpredictable so if you create a path of predictability it keeps you focused and it shows you in the retrospective what happened. Yeah. But it also shows you that you're predictable, right? Which is key. No investor wants to make an investment into a business that's unpredictable or the people are unpredictable and no buyer wants to buy a business that's unpredictable because they're betting on that being predictable. Right. Yeah. Predictability, I can imagine, is super important. Now, we have your focus primarily primarily been uh, tech, uh, different variations of tech companies. Yeah, I mean, I've done. I did a a a, a, a lender in my when I was younger, and I did a biotech applied environmental biotechnology company. But ever since the internet came out, uh, I've been. Yeah, I mean, this software is just you can make anything. It's it's a it's a literal, you know you know, self-manifesting playground. (laughs) Yeah, but how does one even think about that? I mean, how, like, in other words, when I think of software, yeah, I can get a million ideas, but the actual putting it together process is where you get lost. Like, if you don't know how to code or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but you don't need to, now, you know, there's a lot of really good development houses and they have really good product uh, people. So if you have a concept and you are through ideation, you can go to one of these development houses and you can actually, you know, ask them and they'll supply you with a product person, which is key. A lot of people think, oh, I just go into engineering and then I, you know, and a lot of engineers think they don't need a product person. A product person is very critical. Okay. I always tell people, I'm like, do you have a product person? No. Who's doing the product? Oh, I'm just doing it. No, man. No, that's not You can't do that. That's a special <laughs> Define that for people, define the product person. So, you know, basically the product person is not only the voice of the customer, but they're also watching what's going on in the marketplace with competitors. And they take all of this data that comes in, including, uh, you know, feedback that comes from the current customers and the fantasies of the entrepreneur. And then they distill those down into requirements and the requirements boil down exactly what this thing looks like. And then the requirements are coded. So. You can't go from, if you have an entrepreneur acting as a product person, this is very, very, very big, happens all the time. 
You have an entrepreneur who already has squirrel, you know, shiny thing syndrome, and they're trying to manage the engineers, it's gonna cost 100 times more. So a lot of people go, oh, I can't afford a product person. But you can, because if you don't, it's gonna cost more money, uh, because you're gonna be going all over the place. And the engineers, their mindset and the way that they operate is off of like blueprints. So basically, not having a product person is like building a house without blueprints. It's yep. like a contractor just going for it. Yeah. And you're just walking over there every day and going, no, 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 no. Sorry. I want a window here, not there. <laughs> and the contractor's like, dude, I got to put a beam in there. I got to rip this whole wall out. I got to, you know, and, and that is the issue, right? So if you have yeah. a product person, it's like having an architect draw out exactly the plans and, and what they're supposed to do, giving that to the contractor and having the contractor build exactly what's on the plans. And then you do iterations. You do, you know, you improve later on after you get a proof of concept and validation, which are extremely crit critical. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what kind of money is required up front to, you know, get a get a, a tech product like this, you know, put together as beta, work with a product person, things like that. I mean, I've done I've done you know proof of concepts for fifty grand. You know, so you don't you know. I mean, <clears throat> it sounds like a lot to a lot of people, but to get a round of financing for 50 grand, even in ideation is pretty easy. Um, but you know, I've done them for that. And then you do iterations because you have to come to the table with something. You can't just come to the table with a stack of, you know, PowerPoint slides and, and go, okay, this is, this is, this is what I want to do. Now I want to raise a million dollars. Yeah. You know, they're like, no, look, how about you start by showing me something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'll give you 25 grand. And then you can see what you can put together. And then you do a minimum, what's called an MVP, a minimal viable product. Yep. And that's the minimal, the minimal stuff you need that's viable, meaning it works. So at that point, you're not trying to, at that, that stage of an MVP, there's a lot of MVPs, but at that stage of an MVP, you're just trying to get to the point that you can demo something to an investor yeah. to get the money to create something then that can be demoed to a customer. Yeah, I mean, and that's interesting because you're saying to get an investment to get that first 50 grand. So someone's just got to believe in the idea and say, okay, I'll give you 50 grand. Yeah, but, or you just do it yourself. I did it myself. I mean, I worked four jobs and, um, you know, that's how I did it. I just, I just put every dime I had into them in the beginning before I, you know, I started making exits. I put everything I had into it, worked a bunch of jobs and, you know, paid for it myself. Literally, they would send an invoice. And, uh, you know, I'd be hustling and I dealt, I dealt with it sort of like paying your rent. And yeah. I was like, okay, I know I'm going to get a $5,000 invoice. I need to go make five grand. So I would go work, make five grand and pay their invoice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that because that's the kind of stuff people have to do. I mean, sometimes you're straddling two worlds, right? You got to do the work and then you got to uh, push your push down the path where you have that vision, right? So it's you don't just make money with your business right out of the gate. Sometimes you have to actually make money doing things that maybe is not your ideal dream. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's like if you're if you're doing that strategy, even if you're not doing your Greg, I think I lost you. Wait, can you hear me? Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, so if you're doing that, you're doing a strategy on a diet, right? It means that you're you're paying a uh, you have a finite amount of money to use for your you know to get to the point where you can get something that has a proof of concept. Um, in those scenarios, who is doing the product and the technology engineering for you is very critical. 
because you can spend that money screwing around or you can spend that money getting something done. And furthermore, the the way that the things are done are really incredible. Like, you know, if you do a monolith, which is like one big piece of software versus microservices, which is individual pieces that interchange. When you later on and you build your software, if it's on a, a monolith, you know, when you're trying to do iterations, it's like playing whack-a-mole. Every time you do something, something else breaks and, you're, you know, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Versus in microservices, only that one thing breaks instead yeah. of everything. Yeah. yeah. So there's like a lot of stuff you have to think through when you're doing that that you don't know that in a good engineering group does know because they've built this thing a hundred times. Yeah. You know, so they've learned those lessons. You go to them and you're like, look. All I want is this one, like I'll give you an, right now I'm building software for boss to run boss and cause it's all in spreadsheets right now. Got it. And you know, with these guys, I went to them and I was like, listen, all I want is an MVP on the North star, not the rest, just the North star. I just want to get to that point and I want to make sure it's right. And I went to a group that I had used several times for other businesses and that is the, the correct way to go. You don't want to, you don't, you know, build a house by slapping the whole thing together immediately you know what my I'll, I'll give you a good analogy when I was younger I had this mentor named Jim Eubanks this guy was so cool and I was just young and I was just fighting to try to make a living and I was on commission <laughs> and every afternoon on Wednesdays he would send me drive me out to this bus bench and across the street from this bus and this is in LA in the summer and I'm wearing a suit and it was awful right and I'm on commission so I'm sitting there not making money and he dropped me off at this bus bench and across the street was a cyclone fence and dirt lot and sign said coming soon. And I was like, what the hell? I'm like sitting here, you know, and then for, you know, for a long time, he's just said coming soon. And then a really long time, they dug that deep hole that a building has to have. And then they laid all the foundation stuff. And then the thing just flew up. Okay. And after the building was done, he goes, Hey, what did you learn? And I was like, well, I sat there for a long time and I basically said the same thing. And he was like, so what you learned is that planning is more important than building. <laughs> yes, I love that. The footings took forever. The planning took forever. And the rest of the building was, you know, flew up. And, you know, and that was like something that stuck with me. And I was like, man. And so boss it itself is that. You I know, love that. that. I love that. Yeah. And it's so critical. I mean, you see it all the time. And we, we talk about that when it comes to course development, online courses and stuff. It's like you can spend you know, three times as long planning the outline of the course and doing that correctly and then putting in the actual program together, boom, you're done in a heartbeat. That That's, you know, so you spend most of your time, like you said, in the planning phase. So whether it's your business or any other thing, I think it's, it's, it's universally applicable when you're putting something like this together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, pencil progress perfection. That's <laughs> yeah. the order. Yeah. I like you know? that. So what kind of companies have you been investing in now? Um, they're all software companies. So, you know, the market is now, you know, there are bear markets and there are bull markets. So bull markets, you know, like I said, there are companies that sell things that are solving problems and there are companies that sell things that take advantage of opportunities. Yeah. And in a bull market, you can invest in things that are taking advantage of opportunities. And in a bear market, you sell things that are solving problems because in a bear market, people are trying to save money in a bull market. People are trying to make money. So because the market is shift now into more of a bear market, um, you know, because of COVID and a lot of other factors, you know, you have the ability now to sort of say, okay, well now I need to change my investment strategy. I need to look for things that are recession resistant, not proof resistant. Yeah. 
And these are businesses that are saving businesses money because that's what happens when you're in a bear market. So the investment the investments that we make now are not opportunity type businesses. They're, uh, you know, problem type businesses. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Awesome. Well, listen, we're hitting the end of our time here. So I want to make sure we give you a chance to just give yourself a shout out. Um, where do people find more about you? What's the best place to, to get more info? GregoryShepherd.com. So it's just my name. <laughs> <laughs> Simple as that. GregoryShepherd.com. We yeah. will have that in the show notes on the website when this goes live. Uh, Greg, really appreciate it. I mean, obviously you got a ton of experience, um, you know, by, uh, creating and selling companies. So appreciate you just kind of diving into some of that and the ideas behind the boss uh, methodologies that you have. Um, thanks again for being on the show, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Change Creator Podcast. Visit us at changecreator.com forward slash go big to get access to free downloads and other great resources that will drive your business forward.